0: Hey, it's Gustavo. Today, we're doing another crossover episode with our sister show, Asian Enough, because it's awesome. Today, host Jen Yamato and Tracy Brown are joined by Maitrey Ramakrishnan, the breakout star of Netflix's hit coming of age comedy, Never Have I Ever.
1: Not that it's any of your business, but I'm kind of seeing someone, and I have a date after school.
0: <laughs> Maitrey plays Devi Vishwakumar, an Indian American teen from Sherman Oaks, California, who's navigating high school, a sticky love triangle, and the recent death of her father.
1: It means the world to me, right? To be able to breathe life into this character because it is really cool, but also very much so needed and long overdue.
0: Maitrey joins Jen and Tracy to talk about her own Tamil roots, her very special bond with Mindy Kaling, and what it's like to get mega famous overnight during a pandemic. Here's their conversation.
1: Maitrey, Welcome. <laughs> thank you I like never know when I'm supposed to be like hi like I never know literally anytime <laughs> anytime well, I don't want to interrupt I don't want to be that guy that's just like hello I'm here <laughs> thanks for the intro but now I'm here like I want to be that guy well we're so glad you're here <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you I'm glad to be here
2: well to start off you recently posted a voice memo on your twitter talking about the importance and the power of having people pronounce your name correctly
1: Okay, I've taken this voice memo like 5,000 times because there is so much to say. Like, names are so important and I find that it's a big part of your identity. It personally is for me. I love my name so, so much. And I'm asking for basic respect when I want people to say my name right.
2: As I enjoyed that you waited till the very end to actually share the right way that you pronounce your name, which is uh, Maitreyi Ramakrishnan. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) We practiced. Thank you. That's so refreshing. Thank you. (laughs) From the moment, like, you were announced as part of the show, like, you declared, like, I'm Tamil Canadian. This is how I say my Mm -hmm. name. But, like, do you remember the very first time you insisted? No, this. This, please say my name correctly. This is how you're going to say my name.
1: It was sort of like a pretty, like, movie moment for me, okay? Because when I was growing up, I used to tell people, like, yeah, just call me, like, my tray, like, of cookies, like, my tray, right? And then... When I went to Hollywood, first time ever leaving my suburb of Mississauga, this is the first time people are saying, like, hey, like, how do I say your name? Because I grew up with the same people I went to elementary school with to high school. And I almost said, like, tray," And then I was like, wait, no one knows me here. I could like, reclaim my name how I used to say it so proudly when I was, like, in kindergarten. And I would say Maitre Yee. I put, like, a weird emphasis on the end. But... That was my moment when I first was like, yeah, I'm Maitreyi Ramakrishnan. And it's such a subtle change. It's literally just a ye pretty much at the end. But it matters, right? Yeah, it does. It does. And my friends who have grown up with me and are used to call me Maitrey. they actually take the effort to like, you know, change it up because they know it means a lot to me. They know that's what I prefer. So they're like, yeah, your name, dude, do what you want. Even that example of declaring yourself to the
3: world, you know, yeah. you had this opportunity and you took it. It's something that I think a lot of people don't think that they can do. Yeah. How did that moment feel when you were like, yes, you will say my name correctly?
1: It was Awesome. It felt awesome, but I won't lie. Um, In my mind, I was also saying, damn, now you better keep up and make sure you keep saying Maitre. Because, like, the last thing you want to do is slip up and be like, yeah, 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 Maitre. Like, you know, see it the way you've been saying it all this time, the way you've just anglicized your name. So I'm like, okay, we're committing. We're committing to this relationship with my name. And, like, my parents always raised me to be proud of who I am, you know? They're both very uh, Mohan-esque, you know, like Davy's dad. You know, both of them are just truly like, be proud of who you are. So when I made it to Hollywood, there was no question of me wanting to change my name because I thought my name was like really cool. I still do. Yeah. My name's like pretty awesome. And when it comes to like the microaggressions of, you know, you, like you get to feel that you're inconveniencing them with your name. Like, I hate that. But then there's also the other side of people of your own culture and background saying, you don't even know how to say your own name right. To be honest, when I see comments like that, like if I ever do like an interview and in the comment section, they'll be like, damn, she doesn't even know how to say her own name right. I can't watch the rest of this interview. Those hurt sort of more because it's like, no, I do. I do know how to say my name right. Leave me alone. This is just how I'm going to say it because it's this is my life. But it's still like this inner competition of who's more involved in the culture, who's more brown. Oh, that's so relatable. Woo. So
3: Never Have I Ever is actually your first professional acting
1: job ever. First job, actually. I'm not going to lie. I'm going <laughs> be honest about it. I really wanted a job in high school. I wanted to make that bread. I wanted that minimum wage, but I just didn't have the time with like extracurriculars. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. Let's be honest about that.
3: Yeah. Well, it's a heck of a first job. My first yeah. job was like... I don't know, I was like a summer camp counselor or something. That's awesome,
2: though.
1: (laughs) They probably got free food.
2: They all played games. Yes, this is true. My first job (laughs) was cleaning locker rooms at the public swimming pool.
1: Oh, yeah. Not as cool. Okay. But respectable, honorable.
3: What we're saying is we've all paid our dues (laughs) (laughs) challenging first jobs. But you actually got this job by submitting yourself to an open casting call that Mindy Kaling had posted on social media when, when you sent in your submission, when you put yourself up for this one in a 15,000-person like shot, you had only, I think, a little bit of experience of, of
1: acting in, in theater in high school? Yeah, just like after school, high school theater, but I'll be honest, everyone got a part. We needed the people, and you'd probably get like two parts.
3: So what made you want to go for this role for Never Have I Ever?
1: I mean, the real story is that I was hella depressed in grade 12, My last year of high school, I was, like, just ready to always take depression naps after school. I didn't want to show up at school. But my best friend, Jahara, they're the best. And they're the one that found the tweet and sent it to me and was like, yo, like, let's do this. And I almost said, nah, dude, I want to just take a nap. I'm not feeling great. But then I was like, I love my best friend. I'm going to go hang out with them. And I was like, okay, Shara, okay, we'll do it. We'll go to the community center though and film it there because my house is too noisy. You probably didn't have that specific an idea of what the show would be, right? No, no way. I did not have that specific idea of like what it would be or like even honestly the idea of putting myself out there in the world, to me truly, it was just hanging out with my best friend. And I was like, we're gonna just have a good time, you know, make a fun video that we're probably gonna laugh at, maybe use at each other's weddings or something. I don't know. And then that'd be it. So it was just, okay, let's just have a fun time, but let's make sure we do the best possible job we can.
2: As you just kind of mentioned right now, like, you didn't really know what you were going for, right? But this role, Davy, it's, you get to experience what so few, I think, heroines do. She's three-dimensional, right? She's one of the very few Asian-American or South Asian-American teens, we see on TV to begin with, but she's also like she's confident and she's complicated and like she's interested in two boys and she's OK with that. <laughs> and The boys also are also interested back. Yeah. But what does it mean to you that you landed a role like Davy at the very start of your career?
1: I'm so spoiled now. I'm so spoiled. Like I started off on like too high of a note. It means the world to me, right, to be able to be the one that gets to breathe life into this character because it is really cool, but also very much so needed and long overdue. And like you said, Davy is so like multifaceted with her character and personality. She is such a mess, right? And you know we all hate her, but we love her still. We hate that we still love her. And I think that's so awesome. She's so relatable. She's, yeah, really smart and sure, a nerd. I don't get when people are like, oh, you're so nerdy because you're good at school. Sorry, I'm <laughs> smart. Okay, but she's good at school, but she's still confident, you know and goes for what she wants and like is messy Also, she gets angry. I love that about her She just gets openly angry rather than just cries about it in her room She still does that too, but she also just throws a tantrum, which is pretty cathartic to see What am I doing? What are you doing? You throw dad's ashes in the ocean, and then boom, you turn around and date another man? And now because of you, I lost the only memory of my dad's voice. I love that she
3: is flawed. Like you said, she's kind of a hot mess, and she fails. She has to make mistakes to learn from them, but it takes a while. You don't just learn overnight, and I think that's one of the great things about her. She gets in arguments. She's very hard-headed. She is rebellious in good and not-so-nice ways. She hurts people's feelings. She has rage. I love Davy's rage because I feel like that speaks to a part that's still inside of me.
1: I mean, I think it speaks to a lot of us, like, (laughs) inside of us now. Yes, yes. We don't have enough representation of, first of all, females becoming angry in TV, but then, you know, we don't have much representation of young women becoming angry Mm -hmm. openly in TV, but then let alone Asian women, Asian young women becoming angry. You know, we don't get enough representation of that. And we have to then like bottle it up because whatever society, cultural, whatever stigmas, we love that. Yeah. So it's, it's really nice to see her get mad and break a beaker.
3: What do you feel like you're drawing on from yourself when you're playing Davey?
1: I mean, I like to say I got the role of Davy in a sweet spot where, you know, she's 15, but I got the role when I was 17. So I was not too far gone from not remembering what it was like to be a teenager, but I was just removed enough to remember how I made dumb decisions too in high school. And I can empathize truly with a young teenager, right? Like I can look at the actions that Davy's doing and be like, damn, that's really dumb. Don't do that. But I get where you're coming from because you are just a kid. And then also just her messiness. I mean, who isn't a hot mess, right? I think that's why we all like Davy. You know, we see ourselves in that mess. Well, it's also interesting that she being a hot mess
3: sort of stands against this expectation that also exists, this expectation where you have so little representation of this kind in movies and TV and pop culture overall, yeah. there can be this expectation that representation needs to be flawless, needs to be, like, a good kind of representation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, there's obviously the whole, like, if you have, you know, a person of color, they need to be, like, you know, a hero, like, perfect, without any flaw, or they need to have, like, a sad, depressive story. But here, we got a mix of, you know, Davy when she does a good thing, on the rare occasion when she does a good thing and we're rooting for her and we're like, yay! But then there's also the sad moments of like, oh, you are just like a kid dealing with your own traumas and baggage. But then it's also just funny. Like, can we just talk about that for a second? Like, the show is just funny. So you don't even have to be Asian or even of color to relate to the jokes. They're just good jokes.
2: As you mentioned, like, right? Like, we're all figuring ourselves out in high school. So it is relatable to all of us. But I think the big thing Thing still is, unfortunately, kind of that we still talk about this, is how groundbreaking it is for representation. Oh, yeah. You've been talking about representation. This is your first job, like since you're coming on the show. But how mm-hmm. has your understanding of what representation means changed since starting the show or how you think about it changed? I realized how used to I became not seeing people
1: like me on screen. After the show came out, like I realized how normalized that became to me and how I just pretty much accepted defeat without realizing I accepted defeat, you know, I just accepted the fact people like me aren't leads and there are side characters. When you see them on screen, hold on to them, hope that they'll make like an awesome, fun joke that isn't at their own expense and then be grateful for that. After Never Have I Ever, season one came out, I realized, Huh? Why did I just accept that? Like, this is so not cool. And then I started looking at, like, different movies and, like, you know, TV shows that would, like, come out. And, like, whenever I watch it now, I'm wondering, but do they have to be white? Like, why? Wait. Like, we could have had a a little bit of color in this mix here. And now, like, that's, like, my lens whenever I see everything. And I realize, actually, how important it is. Mm -hmm. And I always get the question, like, when do you think we'll come to a good place? And I mean... That comes when we don't have to have the questions of how does it feel and whatnot. But until then, those are very important questions to be asked, how does it feel as a brown woman? Because people need to know and understand how it is to not feel seen. It's so hurtful to not feel seen on TV because you don't feel like you have a place in big stories, in cool CGI movies, you know? And, And that's sort of heartbreaking.
3: The comedian Jenny Yang, who we had recently on the podcast, and Phil Yu, I think, also known as Angry Asian Man, coined Mm. this phrase of the representation sweats, where you're like, oh, God, just please Mm -hmm. let this be good, you know? Yeah. And that's a pressure that I feel like is less and less prevalent the more that we see new shows, new steps forward. One other thing that I would love to, like, talk about because it's introduced in this new season, season two, is Anissa. Mm -hmm. The character of Anissa and what she represents to Davy. It's this new girl at school where Davy thought that she was the only Indian girl at school. And, you know, she maybe internalized what that meant until the arrival of this new girl, Anissa, who she then discovers, to her horror, is a cool girl. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and she might just be objectively lame, Davy. You might just be objectively lame. I remember reading the scripts when that plot line came up and I was thinking, oh my God, this is awesome because like you said, the representation sweats, that's on like both ends. That's on the audience side, watching the product, being like, please, please don't like badly misrepresent us. Like, I hope the writers gave them good lines. But then the actual performer on the other side of that is thinking... Oh, God, I have to represent everyone. Like, oh, my gosh, I have to, like, speak to everyone's experience, which is literally impossible unless you want to make, like, an amorphous blob of a character with no personality, you know? So here we have Anissa, which is, like, you know, the antithesis to Davy. this whole other South Asian girl with her own set of personality and likes and interests. So... It's nice to see because also like the math don't check out if there's only one Indian girl at school because there's way too many Indian people on the planet. Like that just does not make sense. So aside from that, you know, we got two South Asian girls and then people can see themselves and be able to pick and choose. Like my white friends can pick and choose who they want to relate to on a BuzzFeed quiz down to whether they're blonde or brunette. I have to just settle for Raj Kutrapali but I am not a man who can do science. I hate science. I really suck at science. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I Like I, I just hate want a cool feeling. South Asian character. <laughs> yeah, I want a cool South Asian character that's like my personality, you know? And when I would see like, you know, messages and tweets being like, "Oh, Devi doesn't represent me. I'm not at all like Davy." I used to be upset cuz I'd be like, "Oh my god, like I worked really hard on this. Everyone did. Like we all put our heart into this." And then I realized, "Wait. No. That's so selfish of me to be upset about. This is so much bigger than myself. This is just the idea that they wanted representation really badly. They probably were really excited about this show. And sadly, the personality of this one girl didn't relate to them. Of course, Davey relates to a lot of other people, but they didn't. And I understand why they get upset because they just want to be seen.
3: It also goes back to, like, what Davy is experiencing. These emotions about Anissa come from this scarcity complex, right? Yeah. That mentality that puts so much pressure on the one person or being the one person to fill a token role. And that pressure then manifests in so many different ways, whether you're Davy, a girl in high school who's just trying to live her life, or, you know, somebody watching this show wanting even more than the very little that they've been given to date.
1: Yeah, that whole, like, rant that she goes on in uh, season two where she's like, whoa, another Indian girl is prettier or cooler than me. And she openly says, like, I thought there wasn't, like, room for the both of us. But, like, that was dumb, you know? She realizes that. And it's sad that that's, like, you know, a reality. But it's such it's a reality that we really got to talk about because you understand why Davy is jealous You get why she feels like, you know, she's being replaced, you know? But then you're also sad for Anissa because it's like you're just missing out on an awesome friend, which is unfortunate because they would be really good
2: friends. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate it just because, you know, like that scarcity, it does turn into like this weird, internalized, like, then you feel threatened when we shouldn't. But to, to get back to the show, you mentioned, you know, like you answered a casting call by Mindy Kaling, Mm -hmm. who's one of the creators of the show. And you've mentioned before that uh, (laughs) you love The Office. I do. I do love The Office. (laughs) Mindy's your first boss, right? Like, what is it like having Mindy as your first boss? So awesome.
1: It's so awesome. She tolerates all of my Office references. She's also just always, like, there for me. And, like, I always tell her, you know, friend first, boss second. Michael Scott quote right there. (laughs) No, for real, it's so cool. Such a real and honest person to talk to. And also, like, for me, someone I can, you know, take advice from and actually let that advice hit me. Like, you know, when you get advice from someone like, you know, maybe it's like your mom being like, don't worry, you got this, like, you did it so great. And then you find it a little hard to believe because you're like, yeah, like, you're you're sort of paid to say that because, like, you birthed me. Sometimes, like, with Mindy, like, her advice, just the mentorship in general, hits a lot for me because she's been through what I've been through Mm. and... When I ask her, I feel like I'm getting that honest, like, you know, help. Like, what
3: kind of advice is it that she shares with you that you find helpful?
1: I remember, I think the biggest thing that, like, really helped me back in season one was being comfortable with being in the public eye, just in general, about the idea that everyone's going to have an opinion. And it sucks because you can't control that. And they're just going to go off and say whatever you want. And that can be a very lonely experience sometimes, like, quarantine our show came out right so there was no in-person events with my fellow cast members that were going through the same thing i was just at home and seeing all these things on the internet both good and bad but then i went down the rabbit hole of scrolling through all the comments until i found something bad like used to do that all the time and i mean i'm not gonna lie sometimes i still do it and i catch myself more but i'll scroll through until i see a death threat and then i'm like, ah, what? Hold on. Yeah, no, some people are, like, so off the chain, bro. Some people are so off the chain. But it's just because that's what happens when you have a hit show, I guess. But back to Mindy, like, she helped me, like, a champ with that. And my, my mom always says, I love her so much. My mom says, like, as soon as you're done with this, as soon as you're done with acting, if you ever say you're done with it, we're done. It's all good. We you, we walk away. It's all fine. And that's such a privilege. And I'm very thankful for that. But I'm too stubborn. I'm not going to let people stop me. Good. I have too much fun acting. Way too much fun acting. I'm not going to let someone take that away from me, let alone some, like, egghead on Twitter.
0: More of Tracy and Jen's conversation with Maitreyi coming up after this short break. Stay with us. Welcome back to a crossover episode with our sister show, Asian Enough. Here's the rest of Jen and Tracy's conversation with Maitrey Ramakrishnan.
3: We talked about a little bit about the importance to you of identifying as Tamil Canadian. And I have friends who are from Scarborough. Oh, nice. I don't know anybody from Mississauga yet until you. Ayo. <laughs> but it kind of sounds like growing up, both Tracy and I grew up in... Pretty diverse places. I'm from the Bay Area where there's like so many different kinds of communities all mixed into one. And Tracy's from Southern California.
2: Yeah, I'm from Long Beach, which is, you know, in L.A. County. Also a whole bunch of different communities.
3: Nice. But I know Mississauga is this like beautifully diverse place with hundreds of languages spoken Mm -hmm. and like so many different communities. Tell us what was it actually like growing up in Mississauga?
1: I mean... It's interesting because, okay, my brother's like two years older than me, right? And we went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school. But when he went to elementary school, he was like one of three Asian kids in his whole grade. But two years later, when I went to, you know, kindergarten and elementary school, it was the opposite. Like, it was everyone and everybody. And then I grew up with a bunch of other brown people, but not just, you know, other Indian people, but other Tamil people, and Pakistani people, Bengali people, and then of course, all the different, you know, East Asian folks between like Vietnamese, Taiwanese, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, there's like a token few. It just felt natural. And I will say growing up that way is awesome because you get exposed to a bunch of different cultures and backgrounds and of course all their good food. Yo, amazing. But then it puts a little bit of pressure on you to figure out, okay, but where do I fit in in this? Like, being Tamil, what does that actually mean? Well,
3: how did you sort of explore what it meant to be Tamil and even, like, learn what your family's experiences were and sort of explore that side of yourself for
1: yourself? Yeah. I mean, my family, they, when I was, like, younger, didn't talk about it, like, too much. But then when I was growing up, they would always like you know answer questions of both my brother and mine so that of course taught me a lot about like the history of my people and gave me that appreciation i did try to do things like you know bear the natyam which is a very traditional tamil dance i don't have the leg strength i really don't <laughs> but i tried to learn tamil i could not i i really tried i can understand it i just can't speak it or write it there's like over 200 letters i'm not going to clown myself on that one but then also just hanging out with like my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my big family gave me appreciation of just like, yeah, being the most cool. And I'm really proud of it. And this is who I am, this is my family, they're dope people, and we got good food too. So yeah, <laughs> that was my logic as a kid. It's still pretty much is my logic now.
2: <laughs> um, you've touched on this, your family came to Canada. They were refugees from Sri Lanka. When did you start learning about what your parents had gone through and, like, how that affected them and how it has affected you? I think probably when I was around, like,
1: in middle school, like, towards the end of middle school, probably in the beginning of high school is when my, you know, parents were able to, like, you know, open up about it themselves. And after learning, like, all the history of my, like, you know, people, of Tamil culture and just what they've had to, like, go through, it gave me the appreciation and understanding of how hard-working Tamil people are. And, of course, this goes for a lot of, you know, immigrant communities, right? But it truly made me really respect and appreciate everything that my parents, my uncles and aunts have done for my cousins and myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always like to say, like, Tamil people are, like, amazing hustlers, which I'm so proud to be, like, a part of. And, you know, I want to push that forward, too. What is that hustle? <laughs> I, I mean that in the sense of, like, you know, they worked really hard to, like, get the house that they got and, like, get the job that they got and put their kids through school. And it's, like, as a kid, I didn't realize how hard that was because I was just, like, yeah, I'm in school, thanks. But then, I'm like, damn, you really did that for, like, all of us, like, the cousins, myself. Like, I mean, it definitely took a while for my mom and my dad both to, like, talk about it because, of course, it's, like, a lot for them, right? So I didn't really understand the heaviness of it, but... I'm grateful and very proud of them that they did because then it educates both my brother and I to be more confident in who we are and more proud of who we are with respect to Tamil people.
3: Yeah. No, it's so hard to even start those conversations sometimes when they involve,
1: you know, trauma that is still felt. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Trauma that's still felt and just hearing those, like, stories come back to life can really suck. That's one thing that I really appreciate
3: about this episode in season two where there's this facing history class that our characters are in. Yeah. The character of Paxton, he's Japanese-American and he learns for the first time what his own grandfather had gone through in World War II and in the internment camps.
0: Um, so some of you may not know this, but I'm half Japanese. I didn't until recently. And uh, during World War II, right here in California, the government forced over 120,000 Japanese Americans to live in internment camps. My grandfather was one of them.
3: That's something that I share in common with that character and also did not really fully learn about until much later and Mm -hmm. then did not understand why it took so long to learn about that family history until even later than that, you know? So sometimes when people don't want to talk about that fresh trauma that they went through because they went through all that to get to this new life, this new turning point, it has to be asked. And that's so hard.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Like, Paxton's dad tells Paxton about how, you know, he never really opened up to his own son about it. But, you know, encourages Paxton. Like, you know, you are his grandson. Like, maybe you can open up and like get him to open up about it which he does, which is great, but it touches on the idea that, like, sometimes those things don't come to light. And in Paxton's dad's perspective, he never got that conversation, but thankfully, Paxton is. I'm really glad they included that into the script. I thought that was, like, really nice, natural, flawless, just putting that in there in a very respectful manner and very needed way.
2: And, like, I I appreciated the storyline because I think I'm... Still learning. Mm. For me, the process is like my mom spills tidbits, and like it was this year that I learned her father's store was like bombed and destroyed during World War Two. <laughs> Gosh, whoa! Damn. How did that come up? Uh, she was watching a Japanese drama that took place during World War Two, so the actual bombing that they showed on the show was something her family had experienced. Like, she wasn't born yet, but
1: like mm. that's how,
2: like, he lost his storefront, and then he never had a storefront after that. Damn. Um, but while we're talking about parents, you know, you've mentioned them a little bit, but growing up, were your parents, like, the typical immigrant <laughs> parents with values that we kind of hear a lot about? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I'm very thankful for them in the respect that, They knew I was not going to do math or science. Like, they knew. Like, I dropped my sciences after grade 10 as soon as I could. And my mom was like, yeah, no, you need to do that. When my guidance counselor in my last year of high school was like, my tree's not taking any sciences or anything. Like, she's only taking, like, liberal arts and, you know, all that. Like, she called my mom. She called my mom (laughs) to tell her that. My mom was like, okay, and? She's like, yeah, just, you know, like, to firm up her options for university, you know, her career paths, you know, just for, like, less risky things. And my mom's like, okay, thanks, bye. (laughs) Like, my mom was like, no, my kid's great. Let her be. Let her take the courses she wants and is passionate about. I love that. Yes, mom. Right? My mom was the one that actually told me to apply to university for theater. Originally, I only wanted to do my animation applications and then um, a couple of, like, law school ones. But then... My mom was like, hey, like, why not, like, just toss in this theater one? Just, just do it. Uh, mom knew. She kind of knew. She knew. She recognized my passion for acting and, like, just performances. Cause I've never done film before this, but, like, directing and writing and all that before I did. She saw the joy that it gave me before I recognized the joy that it gave me. But growing up, my mom was still, like, a strict parent in the sense of, like, I wasn't going to any kid's house that she did not know the parents of. She didn't know their parents. I was not going. (laughs) But you know what? It's fine because that's how I became best friends with my GameCube. And (laughs) I'm the awesome Super Smash Bros. player that I am today. See? It is fine.
2: What character do you use?
1: Everyone's going to clown me because they're going to be like, oh, you just use the down B move all the time. But I'm a Kirby main, okay? (laughs) I love Kirby. I don't care. But now in Smash Ultimate, I also love uh, Baby Bowser. Like Bowser Jr. is really good.
2: Nice. I, I I used Kirby for a while. My main is a uh, Jigglypuff because I feel like there's hey. there is nothing more empowering than watching a small pink squishy circle like beat up the oh, other fighting man. characters.
1: Jigglypuff <laughs> is like my worst nightmare. Whenever I see like I'm versing up a Jigglypuff, I'm like, God, no! <laughs> I always fall for the whole like sleep move every single time. I don't learn. I don't learn, Tracy.
3: We saw in, I think, an L India article that you're into motorcycle
1: riding. Yeah. I got my motorcycle license before my, like, car license. Are your parents down with that? My mom, when my dad came home with the motorcycle one day, was not happy. I, on the other hand, at the age of seven, was like, yo, dope. And that's when I had my mission. I, like, kept drawing motorcycles for a solid bit. Like, weird doodles of motorcycles. Every birthday card for my dad was a motorcycle just like a different color every time. <laughs> but yeah, my brother rides, I ride, and so does my dad. My mom does not. No.
3: Wow. Wait, that's something you have in common with Davey, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: My dad and I have like our own like separate bonding things. I like to, like, okay, my brother is definitely like a mom's boy. But I'm honestly pretty split. I have my things with my mom. I have my things with my dad. Like, my dad it's like, motorcycle riding, camping. Like, he's the reason why I got into scouts and then became a chief scout. Yeah. So all of that, that's my dad. But my relationship with my mom is all about, like, you know, more the artistic things or just the idea of, like, let's get all these things done and just also just ranting about men being men. We have lot. I think <laughs> that's my favorite thing about my relationship with my mom now. Like, there's so many times I go to my mom and I'm like, I'm not going to get married to a man. I can't. I can't get married to a man. Like, Alma, I can't do it. It's not gonna happen. They all piss me off. And, you know, she's like my best friend when it comes to talking about those things, which (laughs) I really appreciate.
3: I mean, that's a lot of wisdom you're just dropping just now. So, we have one last question before we move on to our regular segment, which we call Asian Enough Confessions. But, never have I ever success has grown your platform so much. And so quickly, too, like millions of followers on social media, which is wild, right? And all during a pandemic, somehow all of this blew up. So in what ways do you feel like your life has changed?
1: And in what ways is it still the same? I mean, it's still the same in the sense of like, I'm still in my basement. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm in the corner of my basement right now. And I'm still with my family. Like the things that are the same is that my grandma randomly will give me a bunch of blueberries mixed with yogurt unprompted and be like eat this you need to eat oh you know so those like wholesome things are still the same but the differences is now yeah the tension so like i think a couple weeks ago i did like a fan meet and greet and that was the first time my family and i all recognized damn you're famous famous and now this comes with also like you need security you need to like make sure you're safe, you know, like those kind of things. And now I was just talking to my friends the other day, like my close, close friends. And we're talking about how it's like, yeah, we got to like make sure we're really careful when we go out and also who we allow to hang out with us. Because you just never know when someone might put something on their story when we're at somewhere and suddenly people know where I am. And now I'm, you know, mobbed and that's crazy. But meh. Meet Morp. I always say that. And then my friends get mad and they're like, you're deflecting. (laughs) And I'm like, Meet Morp. And I just keep saying Meet Morp until they leave me alone. (laughs) That usually works, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty good success rate so far. It's it's decent enough.
2: (laughs) My tree, I would love for us to be able to keep this conversation going and ask you (laughs) a million more questions. But it's time for a weekly segment we call Asian Enough Confessions. Um, And it's where we share an experience where we felt "Mm, maybe not quite Asian enough. Cool. And we kind of unpack it together.
1: There are sadly many of them that come up. There's so many.
3: There's so
2: many. I'm thinking now and I'm like, oh my God, which one is the best to choose out of the many? Yes. Well, this week, I think we're going to try to do it in a special Never Have I Ever format. Ooh, fun. Fun. It's very high concept
1: here. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yes. And I'm going to go first. So... Never have I ever actually known what I was doing during the many times people have made me play mahjong. No idea. <laughs> you just, like, went along with it? Every single time they explain the rules, and it's always the same people. And, like, I have childhood memories of, like, a, a, it's a Doraemon mahjong set. So Doraimon's like, a Japanese, like, anime character. So, like, it's been part of my life for a long time. Can't remember the rules. <laughs> You still don't know? Yeah, I seriously cannot. (laughs) No matter what I do, I cannot retain the rules. So I'm always just like, yeah, I'm throwing this tile out. But hang on. picking Hang on, Chasey, Chasey, hang on. Despite
1: not knowing the rules, have you ever won? No. And if I did, I didn't know. Dang. I was going to say, you know how awesome that would be if you won despite not knowing the rules? They're like, what's your strategy? Oh, my God, that was amazing. And you're just like, legends.
3: Okay, here's mine. Never have I ever had a crush on an Asian kid until until elementary school. And this is a hard, cringy one for me to dredge up, Mm -hmm. so bear with me. My first crush ever was on another Japanese-American kid who I will not name names because my sister will just roast me forever, even though (laughs) she'll definitely figure this one out. But it was this kid who's, like, family, my family also knew. So it was, like, he was one of the only other kids I knew in elementary school. I think I, like, subconsciously looked to that connection for some sort of comfort or something. Mm -hmm. But I remember, like, there was a everybody vote for what kind of pizza you want day. And I looked, like, out of the corner of my eye to see what he was voting on. And then I, like, that's what I picked. (laughs) So it felt... I know, I like almost hate myself for like even saying <laughs> these words out loud. But like you were young. I so I was young. You were and, young. You know, I was like it had impressed on me in some way that it turned into a crush. But then that kid was so like not nice to me that it really like crushed me eventually. He was like kind of like a friend of me where I would play with the kids on the playground. And it was not a Davy situation. At all?
0: Not, a, things not a Davy and Ben in front of me situation. <laughs> no, well.
3: no, 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 no. Um, it was just sort of extremely mortifying. Yeah. I don't um, know if because of that I, I didn't really crush on any other Asian kids after that,
1: but, like, maybe. Maybe
3: it scarred me.
1: Damn. But, I mean, like, can we talk about the fact that, like, that just reminds me of, like, one of my pet peeves of when, like, people tell young girls, oh, they're just... Teasing you because they like you. I hate that crap so much. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, my turn, right? Um, okay. Never have I ever gone to Tamil school and lasted longer than one day. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Tamil school. Okay, so my cousins went to Tamil school, right? Like, all the other kids in my school that were Tamil went to Tamil school where they would learn how to, like, you know, read, write, speak, and Tamil. And my mom and my dad were like, yeah, like, you know, let's put our kids through there, right? Like, let's get them to learn thumble and whatnot. And, you know, we went. And my brother came out after that day to my mom and had this, like, face of, like, no, I didn't like that. (laughs) He was, like, very, like, upset. He was sad. But then I came out. And as my mom calls it, I had this very distinct stomp as I left this building I was very unhappy because (laughs) what happened was the Tamil teacher would like say things and I didn't understand because it would be in Tamil. Now, a lot of the kids in the class, like they have been speaking Tamil at least a little bit like growing up. I'm now like at the age of like probably seven. Okay. So I like don't know much except for food words, which I like to call my lifeline words. So Mm -hmm. except for those words, if we weren't talking about food, I was really lost And then if I tried, I could tell like other people in the class would be like laughing at me because like I didn't say it like with the right like enunciation and pronunciation because I was still learning. Yeah. And I really wanted to learn as a kid, but I got so mad. And then, of course, there's also the cultural differences of like, this ain't no public school here. This is like, I will yell at you if you're not getting it right and make you feel stupid. And I went to my mom after and I was like, if she yells at me, I will yell at her. I'm not going back.
0: And that's a wrap on our crossover episode with Agent Enough. Check out their other interviews with Marvel star Simu Liu, comedian Jenny Wang, and chef Sola Elwayli. Wherever you get your podcasts, Tomorrow, The Times is back with an episode about the possible end of jaywalking in California as we know it. Asian Enough is hosted by Jen Yamato and Tracy Brown, produced by Hiba el and Asal Isanipur, edited by Shawnee Hilton, and engineered by Mike Heflin. The Times is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Marina Pena, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Eapin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times and Agent Enough on whatever platforms you use. Don't make us to Puchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.